This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, it's Friday, and we're heading toward the weekend, so let's get there with a little laughter, okay? We'll do that by listening to George Burns and Gracie Allen. This couple entertained on the stages of vaudeville, radio, television, really a remarkable feat, over 40 years making people laugh. Now, as most know, George Burns was the writer for most of their routines, and he excelled in his delivery as a straight man to Gracie's off-the-wall lines, now, if you've ever done a little bit of acting, maybe in high school, the local uh, amateur club, even professionally, you know that the toughest script to learn is one where your lines are non-sequiturs. In other words, they aren't connected with the other person's dialogue. Wow, was Gracie ever good at that? How is it framed? Oh, oh yes, uh, Gracie's infamous illogical logic. Well, we'll enjoy that in tonight's episode when the plot calls for George to pretend to be a butler at a dinner where Gracie is pretending to be another man's wife. Why am I telling you all this? Let's just start from the very beginning. Starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. With yours truly, Bill Goodwin, and the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. Here's Meredith Wilson with his chiffon arrangement of If I Loved You. Thank you. 
home today, we find George and Gracie discussing the problems of their next-door neighbor, Meredith Wilson. So, Meredith has got to stop over, George. He has a date tonight, and I want you to give him some advice about women. What? Again? <laughs> Why doesn't his father have a talk with him? Oh, 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 his father is even shyer with women than Meredith. Oh, so he got a shyness from his father. Yes, and it not only affected Meredith, but his ten brothers and fourteen sisters. Uh, well, I don't think I'm the one to advise him about women Oh, I bet you know plenty about women, George Burns I wouldn't be surprised if you used to be quite a ladies' man Me? Oh, a little, maybe You handsome rascal I'll bet you were plenty of competition for Francis X. Bushman Yeah, took plenty of dames away from George Ellis, too. Well, don't tell me you don't know anything about women. I knew the first time I kissed you that you'd been kissed before. You were dynamite. Really? Sure. You kissed almost as good as I did. Thanks. So you will have a talk with Meredith? Well, I guess it is sort of selfish of me to keep all my vast knowledge about women to myself. They didn't used to call me Volcano Lips for nothing. (laughs) Why, you've forgotten more about love than most men ever knew. Yeah, I guess I have. I wish you could remember a little of it. (laughs) I'll try. Oh, this must be Meredith. Come in. Howdy, folks. Hello, Meredith. Gracie tells me you have a date tonight, Meredith. Surely have. Her name is uh, Peggy, and I'm awful anxious to make a good impression, so... I thought I'd like to get some advice from the old master himself. Well, you've come to the right place. Yeah, I know Bill Goodwin usually drops in. (laughs) Meredith, it's possible that I can tell you some things about women. Oh, well, thanks, George, but you probably just heard the same rumors I have. Well, listen, Meredith. uh, No amount of talking about women is going to take the place of experience. You ought to get out and rub elbows with them. Is that fun? It's keen. Come in. Hi, folks. Oh, hello, Bill. Hi, Bill. Hello, Master. Hi, Meredith. Say, Bill, I've got a date with a girl tonight, and and I wish you'd please give me some now, advice. Now, at a time, uh, please, Meredith. I've got a big problem of my own right now. But, Bill, I... Meredith, I'm sorry. I've got something on my mind right now beside women. I'll see him later, Meredith, when he's thinking normally again. <laughs> Well, okay, I'll drop back. What's up, Elle? Yes, it must be pretty important if you refuse to talk about women. Gracie, I don't think only about women. I think of my career, too. That's what this is about. I want fame and success and lots of money. Well, of course you do. Sure. 
Look at the women I'll be able to get. <laughs> Bill, suppose you tell us what this is all about. Well, George, there's a part open at my studio that I'm dying to get. It's in a picture called Love in a Cottage. And who do you think I'd be playing opposite? Ingrid Bergman. Really? Yeah. Can you imagine Ingrid Bergman and me playing opposite each other? What an opportunity. What a chance to become the biggest picture name in the country. Well, sure. And, of course, it'll help me, too. <laughs> He's murder, isn't he? Well, Bill, what's the matter? Can't you get the part? Well, I don't know, Gracie. You see, the producer, Mr. Sherwood, is one of these guys who believes in realism. The part is a married man, and he feels only a married man could play it. Well, there's only one answer, Bill. Get married. Well, sure. Pick out one of the girls you're engaged to and surprise her. <laughs> no, I thought of a better way, Gracie. I told the producer that I was married, that I already have a wife. What? Well, yeah, I've even invited him to dinner tonight, so now i got to produce a wife. You don't know where I could borrow one, do you? Well, no, I'm afraid I... Come in. Good afternoon, Mrs. Burns. <laughs> oh, thank you, Mr. Postman. Did I interrupt a family conference? Oh, no, no. We're trying to help Mr. Goodwin. He wants to borrow somebody's wife. Oh, but Mr. Goodwin's is sort of a wolf. If he borrowed a wife, he might keep her. No, no, I wouldn't. Darn it, I was going to lend you mine. <laughs> No, thanks, Mr. Postman. Not even if I threw in a week's salary? <laughs> no. My government pension? Nope. No matter what shape she's returned in, I won't ask for a refund. <laughs> no, we better forget it. I don't understand you, Mr. Postman. If you're that anxious to get rid of your wife, why did you ever marry her? Oh, I was young and it was spring. The hollyhocks were blooming and the chickadees were singing. <laughs> Since then, I've been arrested a dozen times for pulling up hollyhocks and throwing them at chickadees. <laughs> well, Mr. Postman, I'd like to oblige, but you know how it is. Yes, I know. I'm stuck with my mail bag and that female, too. <laughs> well, goodbye. Remember... Keep smiling. <laughs> well, Bill, I guess you'll have to look somewhere else for a wife. Well, I was, uh, I was sort of hoping that you'd play the part, Gracie. Me? Well, yes, we could invite the producer here for dinner. I don't think much of the idea. Oh, neither do I, Bill. Oh, you better forget it. Okay, Gracie, I just picked you because I wanted the producer to think my wife was as charming as Ingrid Bergman. Well, I'll be running along. As charming as Ingrid Bergman? Oh, yes. And just as beautiful. Well, I'll be running along. I'm as beautiful as she? Oh, sure. And even more talented. Well, I'll be running along. More talented than Ingrid Bergman, me? Well, easily. Well, I'll be... Oh, sit down, Bill. <laughs> uh, what's your hurry? Then you'll do it? Well, yes. You can call a producer and invite him here for dinner. <laughs> I already did. <laughs> well, I'll run home and get dressed. See you later, wifey dear. Here's Meredith Wilson and his chiffon arrangement of that top tune, Till the End of Time. Thank you.
you into it. Imagine going for that line of poetry. Well, I... Anyone who falls for flattery is a dope. Besides, what'll I do while Bill is your husband? Hide in the attic? Well, no. You can be our butler. Butler? <laughs> Nothing doing. Oh, all right, dear. I just wanted to show Bill that you're a finer actor than Charles Lawton. That's all, but forget it. Me? <laughs> Finer than Lawton? Oh, yes, and much more convincing But that's all right, forget it More convincing? I am? Well, of course No one could play an English butler like you could But forget it Don't try to talk me out of this part <laughs> uh, Blimey, Governor, the blooming dinner is safe Shall I pass the tomatoes? Ah, oh, then you do it uh, Quite, quite, old bean Frightfully amusing and all that sort of rock Ah, uh, yes, you <laughs> now, Bill, if you hope to convince this movie producer that you're married, you better have some lessons in how to act like a husband. Oh, Gracie, I don't need any lessons. No, I better try you out. Now, I'm your wife, and I say, um, do you love me, darling? Yes. Yes, my beautiful queen. I love you deeply. Devotedly, tenderly, passionately. And I shall always love you. You're the singlest man I ever saw. <laughs> now, I'll show you how a husband answers that question. George is in the den reading the paper. George? Huh? Do you love me, darling? Uh-huh. Close the door. <laughs> Gee, the little man's a ball of fire, isn't he? <laughs> Are all husbands like that? Oh, no, not right away. The first year, they sit across the breakfast table and tell you how beautiful you are. That lasts until the first anniversary. 
Oh, I see. I think that's why they call it the paper anniversary. From then on, they'd rather read the paper. <laughs> Say, what time is the producer coming to dinner? Well, Mr. Sherwood will be here at 7.30, George, which means you'd better hurry and teach Bill how to act like a husband. Well, it's very simple, Bill. Now, go outside and come in like you're a husband, uh, a husband coming, coming to dinner. Okay. Darling. Dearest. Here's a big hug and kiss from your loving husband. Mmm. Uh, we better run through that again. <laughs> Here's a big hug and kiss from your loving husband. Mmm. Uh, once more. Grace, I don't like this. How do you know you've never tried it? <laughs> <laughs> never mind. Get on with the scene. And, Bill, try to remember that you're a tired, hungry husband coming home after a hard day's work. Don't be so agreeable. Oh, okay. What do we got for dinner, wife? Oh, we're having the most wonderful dinner there. First, there's caviar. Ah, now you're working. (laughs) Then, uh, turtle soup. Ah. Then, pheasants under glass. Ah. Then, crepe Suzette. Ah. Okay, that's enough rehearsal. Come in. I've been waiting in the little old car for an hour now, Dimples, honey. Dimples, honey? Well, that's me. (laughs) I'm, uh, I'm sorry, baby. Folks, I'd like you to meet the one and only girl, the girl I really love, Miss, um, what's your name again, kid? Cynthia Lou Culpepper. Oh, that's right. Glad to meet you, Cynthia Lou. Oh, the pleasure's mine, sir. I've always wanted to meet Bill's father. (laughs) And this charming lady must be Bill's sister. Oh, no, no, I'm his wife. His wife? Well, uh, just temporarily. You see, I was George's wife until Bill came in. And now I'm Bill's wife this evening. But tomorrow I'll be George's wife again, and Ingrid Bergman will be Bill's wife. But when they finish loving the cottage, maybe you'll be his wife. Just remember, this is Hollywood. (laughs) Well, it certainly is living up to its reputation. I'll see you later, Mr. Dimples Goodwin. Wait, Cynthia Lou. Unhand me, you... you Yankee. (laughs) (laughs) Holy smoke, now I am in trouble. What a mess. Oh, gee, I'm glad you're still here, Bill. Will you give me some advice now, will you, Bill? Huh, huh, please, Bill, will you, huh, Bill, please? Uh, uh, Later, Meredith, later. I'm busy. uh, Bill, just tell me the first thing I should say to Peggy tonight. Oh, go jump in the lake. Gee, why couldn't I have thought of that? (laughs) Better hurry up and get dressed, Gracie. The producer will be here any minute. Oh, yes, dear. Mm, give me a hand with this, girl, will you, dear? It's so tight. Okay. Mm. Oh, one more pull. Mm. There. Oh, darling, it makes you look wonderful. <laughs> well, I knew it was the only way I'd ever get those tuxedo pants to fit me. Have worn them for ten years. Oh, how about it? Can you get them fastened? Nope. They don't quite reach. Well, here, I'll help you. Uh, pull in your tummy. Okay. No, pull in your chest. Okay. No, pull in your tummy. 
Okay? No. Why don't you make up your mind? Oh, I can't tell which is which. <laughs> I should never have agreed to do this. I'm worried about the part of the butler. Yeah, me too. The part that won't fit into these pants. <laughs> now, uh, take a deep breath, dear. Let's try it again. There, there, I got it. But for heaven's sake, George, whatever you do, don't bend over. Don't worry. Oh, dear, that may be Mr. Sherwood already. Slip on your coat. Hmm. But what do we do? Bill isn't back yet. Oh, that's perfectly up. How do you do? I'm Lawrence Sherwood, the movie producer. Oh, how do you do? Um, come right in, Mr. Sherwood. I'm Mrs. Goodwin. Uh, Burns, take Mrs. Sherwood's hat. Yes, madam. Oh, oh, how clumsy of me. I dropped it. I'll pick it up. Uh-oh. Oh, you ripped your pants, sweetheart. Did you call the butler sweetheart? Oh, I meant Burns. Excuse me, Mr. Sherwood. I'll, uh, have to take him in and put some different pants on him. <laughs> hmm. I wonder if Bill knows about this. Well, that was a delightful dinner, Mrs. Goodwin. Mrs. Good... Oh, oh, yes. Well, thank you. Um, you may clear the table, Burns. Very good, madam. Um, hubby, dear, take Mr. Sherwood into the living room, and I'll have Burns serve the coffee in there. All right, lovey dove. Ah, it's a charming place, yeah. Well, George, the dinner went off without a hitch. Now, uh, bring in the coffee... And uh, some brandy, too, into the living room. Now, wait a minute. I've only got one bottle of brandy, and I've been saving it for ten years. Bring it in, dear. But we never save brandy after dinner. Maybe you Burnses don't, but we good ones know how to live. <laughs> well, I'm not going to let those two guys drink up my precious brandy. But look what's at stake, dear. A pot opposite Ingrid Bergman. And... Just think of her, George. Beautiful, luscious, divine Ingrid Bergman. Now, how about the brandy? Bergman can have a drink, but not those two guys. <laughs> George, have I ever forced you to do anything against your will? Yes. Well, I'm still at it. Bring in the brandy. <laughs> yes, and I'm really settled down. Yes, sir, Mr. Sherwood, there's nothing like being a family man. Oh, you're right, Bill. And if I may say so, you've a mighty pretty young wife. Well, of course you may say so, Mr. Sherwood. <laughs> After all, you're a guest. Uh, thank you. But I'm not really as young as I look. I'm way over 20. <laughs> really? Oh, yes. Weeks and weeks. <laughs> oh, uh, Burns, we're waiting. The brandy, madam. <laughs> well... Don't just stand there, Burns. Offer some to Mr. Sherwood. Yes, madam. You wouldn't want any of this brandy, would you, Mr. Sherwood? Why, I wouldn't mind a little. I wouldn't take too much. It's lousy. <laughs> Why, Burns, you let Mr. Sherwood have some of that brandy. Certainly, and take all you want, Mr. Sherwood. There's nothing cheap about us Goodwins. Hand Mr. Sherwood the bottle, Burns. Yes, sir. Very good, sir. Well, uh... Don't you want any, sweetheart? Certainly I do, but he'll drink up all the brandy. 
my husband. Oh, uh, <clears throat> beg pardon, madam. Um, don't you want any, sweetheart? Well, I'll have a drop or so, lover. When Mr. Sherwood has had his, I'll finish the bottle. What? <laughs> Burns, bring us a box of cigars. Cigars? Yes, they're in the sideboard in the dining room, the second floor. I drawer... know where they are. <laughs> Rather odd sort of fellow, that butler. But yes, isn't he, though? I notice you and he keep referring to each other as sweethearts. Oh, that. Oh, well, you know what you have to do to keep health these days. <laughs> Now, Mr. Sherwood, about that picture, Love in a Cottage. Oh, yes, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, Bill, when you told me that you were married and settled down, I didn't believe it. You see, I had heard that you were a wolf. A wolf? Lover, what's a wolf? (laughs) Oh, he's so innocent. A wolf, Billy boy, is a man who stands on street corners and whistles at girls. What for? They'll get in his car, and he can hug them and kiss them. Oh. Oh, any man who'd do that should be run out of Hollywood. Well, it would be a pretty dull place with just women. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, you wouldn't want to be the only man left among thousands of women. <laughs> oh, no, no, of course I would. I have never looked at any woman except my dear, sweet wife. Come in. Bill, you just got to give me that advice. It's getting late. Oh, not now, Meredith. We have a guest. Oh. Well, I'm uh, sorry to interrupt, sir, but I need Bill's help. You see, he's got so many girls. Girls? Bill? Uh, oh, well, didn't Bill tell you about our girls? Oh, no, darn it. It slipped my mind. Well, well, how many have you got? Two. Four. How many? Four. Two. <laughs> well, just don't let him kid you. Now, Bill's got a whole lot more than that. Really? And how old are you? Well, most of them are around 18. 18? <laughs> Mrs. Goodwin, you just said that you were barely over 20. How could you have daughters 18? Well, um, once we got married, we decided not to wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Say, uh, I don't exactly know what's going on here, but uh, I just came to get some advice from the biggest wolf in Hollywood. And just who is that? Cigars. There he stands. <laughs> Burns the homewrecker. Huh? Uh, Mr. Wilson wants some advice from you, Burns. But take him out of here, you lady killer. I don't want my husband to hear that kind of talk. But you... Quickly, Burns. Take him out. I don't want my ears soiled. Okay. <laughs> oh, that butler is such a wolf. Yeah. So now you understand what Mr. Wilson was talking about. All but one thing. Those grown daughters. Oh, uh, well, they're not really grown. Um, one's two and the other's three. But Mr. Wilson said there were 18. Oh, well, they're a little large for their age. <laughs> Where are they now? I'd, I'd like to see them. Uh... Well, we have them in uh, boarding school. Yes, yes. We feel that every child should learn how to board. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, two children. You really are settled down, aren't you, Bill? Oh, oh, you bet, Mr. Sherwood. Now, about that picture, Love in a Cottage, Oh, yes, I'm glad you mentioned it. Now that I see you're really happily married, I think that... Come in. No, 
Now, looky here. Poor little old me has been kicked around. All poor little old me can stand. Uh Uh-oh, poor little old us. (laughs) I demand that Dimples marry me right away. Dimples? Who's Dimples? Cigars? Well, really, Burns, this is too much. Huh? You take this girl right out and marry her. Marry her? Now she here. Get going, Dimples. Okay. <laughs> oh, what a man. Does this sort of thing happen often? Oh, constantly. Why, Burns is responsible for half the women on Mr. Anthony's program. Yes. <laughs> yes. Really, dear, you must fire that awful chaser. He may lead me astray. Now, about the lead in your picture, Mr. Sherwood. No, it's all settled, Bill. I've found the perfect leading man. Oh, good. Good. And, um, who is he, Mr. Sherwood? Cigars? There he stands. Burns the butler. Huh? 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 But I thought I'd get the lead in love in a cottage. That's what I've been trying to tell you, Bill. We're not making love in a cottage. Instead, we're doing a picture called On the Prowl, the story of a wolf. And Burns is just the type. Oh, no! (laughs) I'm going to be in pictures? You'll be the new Van Johnson, the heartthrob of every American woman. You mean he'll be making a movie star salary from now on? Until he's too old to walk before a camera. Oh, George, what a wonderful year we have ahead of us. Stay tuned for Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Zoomer Radio, AM 740, and in downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM. And now, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, and the episode first aired in 1953, King's Necklace. John Lund as... Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Eastern Indemnity and Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the King's Necklace matter. Expense account item one, $134.70. Airfare and incidentals between Hartford and Miami. Waiting at the airport, as promised, was your Southern States Agency Manager... Marty Fenton. Over a cup of brew in the coffee shop, he briefed me on the assignment. Ever hear of King Rawlings, Johnny? King Rawlings? Financial tycoon, wasn't he? Retired some 15, 20 years ago? That's the lad. 
About a year ago, he wrote a policy in a quarter of a million dollar necklace that he owned. Which has suddenly turned up among the missing? Uh, not yet. You expect it to? No, we got a letter from him day before yesterday. Claims somebody attempted to break into his safe. Thinks they were after the necklace. Well, I'm usually sent for after the crime's been committed. True, my lad, true. Oh, pass the sugar, will you please? Sure. So what am I doing here now? The policy's coming up for renewal, Johnny. And there have been nasty rumors circulating around about Rawlings' present financial condition. Afraid he's starting a build-up to put in a fraudulent claim? Been done before. The boys in Hartford get pretty stuffy about that kind of skullduggery. Now, we want you to check around Los Banos and see what you come up with. Is that where the gentle sea breezes waft through the palm trees? 2,000 imported ones. Los Banos is Rawlings' own personal island off the coast of Cuba. He's lived there for 20 years, surrounded by his memories, his trees, and his collection. Of precious stones? Uh-uh. People. Oh, your plane's waiting, Johnny. I hired a little amphib to Let's not down. brush off the collection of people, Marty. Who am I to prejudice a stalwart investigator about to brave the dangers of Rawlings Isle? On your way, lad. May the blessings of Eastern indemnity follow you even unto the ends of Los Banos. After one and a half hours of white clouds and blue sky, the plane put down in an even bluer sea and taxied over to a landing dock on a picture book island. King Rawlings had collected palm trees, all right, but I didn't know about the people. From where I stood, there was nothing to be seen but the landing dock, a gravel path, and those trees. The path led through a seemingly deserted tangle of exotic flowers, sweet-scented vines, and the ever-present palm trees. It was like a tropical paradise, peaceful, serene, untouched by men. I just about decided that nobody on this island ever made use of this lush garden spot when I learned that I couldn't have been more wrong. Over here, please. Well, hello, wherever you are. Over here, in the clearing to your right. Hello. Who are you? My name is Johnny Dollar. I am Nita Valdez, Mr. Dollar. Well, I'm glad to know you, Miss Valdez. You are the man who arrived on the plane a few minutes ago, no? I didn't think anyone had heard. The hospitality is overwhelming. You have become accustomed to it. Everyone here is too occupied with himself to bother concerning anyone else. Like me, I have been too busy sunbathing. Yes, uh, so I noticed. If it bothers you, you could hand me my robe. Oh, no, no. That won't be necessary. Sit down, Mr. Dollar. Thanks. You have come to see the king about the attempt to steal his necklace? Apparently, sunbathing hasn't interfered with your learning about that. You obviously do not know King Rawlings very well. Why do you say that? Everyone on this island has been accused of attempting the theft. Including you? Why should I be an exception? Oh, just wondering. Because I'm young and beautiful, you think perhaps I hold some... Special place of esteem in King Rawlings' affections? Well, do you? Can you reach that bottle of something, lotion? Yeah, sure. The back of my shoulders, would you mind? It is a difficult place for me to reach. Oh, I'll be glad to. About the necklace, Mr. Dollar, I would not be too concerned about it if I were you. Oh? Why not? Well, if anyone had actually made an attempt to steal it, the king knows who he is. But he still accused everybody here, huh? It affords him a great deal of pleasure to make others squirm and be uncomfortable. You don't like him very much, do you? 
I hate him. And why do you stay here? Same reason as everyone else. Money. Oh, that will do nicely. Thank you. You're welcome. Do you mind explaining that bit about money, Miss Valdez? Later, perhaps. The sun is still warm, and I wish to take advantage of it. We will meet again. A polite dismissal, if I ever heard one. You're wondering, perhaps, why I stopped you to talk this way? The thought had occurred to me, yes. When you meet the king, get to know him a little, I think you will understand why. And if I don't? I sunbathe here every day at this time. I'll think about that, too. I found that Rawlings, like all good kings, lived in a castle. This one, obviously imported, stone by stone, from some Moorish province. A nervous little man came to the main gate and escorted me inside to the baronial hall. Harley is my name, Mr. Dollar. Timothy B. Harley. I'm Mr. Rawlings' secretary. In here, please. Mr. Rawlings, steady. We'll be down to join you shortly. Thanks, Mr. Harley. I presume you're here about the uh, necklace, Mr. Dollar? A favorite topic of conversation around here, isn't it? I beg your pardon? The necklace. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Well, under the circumstances, you see, the attempted theft and all, it... Uh... Has someone else mentioned it to you? Any reason why they shouldn't? Oh, I know. oh no, 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 not at all. No, it was just that, well... Um... Was it Nita Valdez, by any chance? What makes you think so? Oh, I, nothing. Oh, no, no, nothing at all. Only, you see, it was a error. To tell you the truth, I, I've suspected something for a long time. It's come to my attention. You talk too much, Harley. Oh, oh Mr. Rowling. Oh, I didn't hear you come in. I was just telling you. Get out. Oh, well, of course, Mr. Rowling. Of course. You're from the insurance company? That's right. Johnny Dollar. Why you instead of Marty Fenton? He's an agent. I'm a special investigator. I didn't request an investigation. You made a report of an attempted robbery. What do you want me to do? Have you declare the policy void because I didn't? What do you want us to do? Thank you for letting us pay out a quarter of a million if the necklace turns up missing. Over here, darling. There's the safe I keep it in. Hmm. Pretty substantial job. Fenton supervised the installation himself. Those scratches near the combination, those what made you think somebody tried to force it? Only a hammer and chisel could make those marks. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see the necklace. Boy. Who do you think was after it? Either Harley or my protege, Anita Valdez. Why suspect them? They love money and hate me. You care to go into that? You're investigating the necklace, Dollar, not my relationships with the people on this island. There it is. Oh. Beautiful workmanship. What else did you expect for a quarter of a million dollars? A little more than this, Rawlings. Hmm? I'm no expert on precious stones. But ten will get you twenty if these aren't paste. Let me see. Hmm. You're right, they are. 
Any explanations? None. You've no idea how the switch was pulled? I have not. When was the last time the necklace was appraised? When the policy was written? Who else has the combination of this safe? No one. Oh. Kind of puts you in a spot, doesn't it? Not at all. I'm insured. The law says we don't have to pay off on fraudulent claims. I know. The law also says you have to prove that fraud exists. I broke the news to Marty and looked around for something to improve the shining hours while waiting for him to arrive. I found it. Dressed in a clinging silk gown on a patio overlooking the sea. It was obviously the cocktail hour. Mind if I join you? Oh, please do. I can't make up my mind. To what, Mr. Donner? Which shows you off to greater advantage? That dress or the sunset? <laughs> For that, you may have a choice of rewards. Scotch or martini? Nothing, thanks. Well, what did you think of him? The king? Yes. I'm more interested in what you think of him. I have already told you. I know. He confirmed your statement. That I hate him? Mm-hmm. You can believe it. I do. What I want to know is why. King Rawlings is a collector. Stamps, butterflies, out-of-state license of plates? people, Mr. Dollar. How does this fascinating game of his work? He specializes in aspiring artists with little or no talent. Mm. Actress like myself. A would-be poet like Harley. He baits his trap with the promise of money to aid their careers. Keeps them dangling as long as they can amuse him and feed his ego. Then he casts them off. Very amusing. Yes, isn't it? Well, if you know what he is, why stay on? Oh, it's much easier to cling even to a remnant of a dream than to face the harshness of reality. How tough would it be to face reality with a quarter of a million dollars? The necklace is gone. Does that surprise you? No. It was too great a temptation. For you or Harley? For either of us, if we had known the combination to that safe. No, Mr. Dollar, it was the king himself who was tempted. Well, that doesn't figure. Not with his money. If he still has it. Why do you think he hasn't? What other answer could there be? Hmm. Might be interesting to try to find out. Oh, you would be wasting your time, Mr. Dollar. I've got some to spare. Perhaps I could find useful. I don't have any money. Oh, that was rather cruel. I'm sorry. Uh, Mr. Dollar, is that you? Uh, oh, yes, yes, of course it is, yes. Why the excitement, oh, Harley? Tell me, is it true that the necklace has been stolen? Looks like it. Why? I wonder if that could possibly account for it. For what? Mr. Rawlings. He's lying on the second floor landing. I think he's dead. D.B. Harley couldn't have been more right. King Rawlings was lying stone-cold dead on the second-floor landing. 
When Marty Fenton flew in three hours later, accompanied by a Captain Fuentes of the Havana police, I gave them a fast briefing. Marty's reaction was predictable. Nobody gets off this island until we learn what's happened to that necklace. Right, Captain Fuentes? Yes, I agree, Senor Fenton. Up to a certain point. What point? What do you mean? The good captain apparently feels there might be something more important about all this than a missing necklace. What could be more important than a quarter of a million in stolen jewels? How about murder? Never entered my mind. Naturally not. Eastern indemnity only insured Rawling Stones, not his life. I guess I had that coming. Senor Dollar is quite correct, however. The cause of Senor Rawling's death is not apparent at the moment. It will require an autopsy to determine. And if it's murder? We must then regard everyone who was present upon this island with suspicion. Uh, what help can you give us regarding that, Senor Dollar? Well, just what I've told you. Outside of the servants, only Harley, Miss Valdez, and I were among those present. And who was the last to see Senor Rawlings alive? So far as I know, I was. But Harley could have been with him after Rawlings left me in the study. For that matter, Miss Valdez could have seen him, too. Before our little tete-a-tete on the patio. Look, fellows, me lads, I don't want to appear single-minded about this little affair, but we don't know whether Rawlings was murdered or not. However, we do know Eastern indemnities out of cool 250 Gs if that necklace doesn't turn up. Uh, payable, of course, to Senor Rawlings' estate. Sure, but who cares who it's payable to? What I'm interested in is not paying it. Thinking of possible motives, Captain? Uh, the heir to Senor Rawlings' fortune might well be suspect. So would whoever stole the necklace. If Rawlings had tumbled to him. And there's always plain hate, isn't there? You have something specific in mind, Senor Dollar? Mm, just a suggestion, Captain. Fuentes had his plane fly Rawlings' body back to Havana for posting while he conducted a very thorough, if unenlightening, questioning of those present. Apparently, no one had seen Rawlings after he left me in the study, had any idea how he died or what had happened to that necklace. Fuentes knocked off around midnight, and everyone ostensibly went to bed. I still had a few unanswered questions kicking around, so I went up to Harley's room to try them out. Why, yes, Mr. Dollar, Mr. Rawlings had a will, but as I told Captain Fuentes, it's locked in the safe. And it'll take a court order and some professional safecrackers to get at it, I know. But what about the copy? Copy? It's customary for the attorney who drew it up to retain a copy. Oh, yes, of course. I hadn't thought. Uh, Senor Chavez must have one in Havana. He's an attorney there? Yes. As a matter of fact, he handled most of Mr. Rawlings' financial affairs. Well, he must have a copy. Oh, why don't you ask him? Oh, I will. But uh, first, I'd like to know why you were planning to leave Los Banos. Leave? Well, how did you know? Well, maybe you can think of another reason for having a half-filled suitcase laying there on your bed. Oh, that, oh yes, of course. Yes. I was planning to leave. There's no reason why I shouldn't. After all, my employment here has been terminated. Have you discussed the idea with Captain Fuentes? Well, uh, no, but why should he object? I'm not guilty of anything. Just a thought, Harley. Mind if I take a look at that suitcase? No, no, don't. Don't touch that. I don't. Well, what do you know? A brown paper parcel, neatly wrapped and tied. You mind telling me what's in it? It's none of your business. Put that down. It wouldn't be a necklace by any chance, would it? Put it down, Dollar. Oh, sure, right away. Well, that's interesting. All new, crisp, in hundred-dollar denominations. Hmm. 
Must be close to $10,000. Well, what of it? It's mine. Oh, I don't doubt that. I'm just wondering where you got it. I saved it. Working for Rawlings? Yes, why not? I saved it working for Rawlings. It's mine. Okay, Harley. I don't want it. Don't you really know why Captain Fuentes might object to your leaving now? No. I most certainly don't. Hmm. Remarkable. There wasn't anything I could do before morning rolled around except smoke a last cigarette and try to think things out. So I went out in the same patio where Anita and I had had our talk and lit up. The one cigarette turned into two. Then I started to light a third one. That was a mistake. I saw the muzzle flash. It came from somewhere inside a clump of palm trees. But with a full moon behind me, I wasn't going to get heroic about it. I made a dive for a concrete retaining wall. I didn't think the shots I'd snapped out had done any good, and I had no intention of finding out. Not with that moon lighting things up. So I made myself comfortable with my back to the wall and waited for the Cuban Marines in the person of Captain Fuentes to come charging to the rescue. Some 15 minutes later, Marty, the captain, and I held a council of war on our way down to the landing docks. I found these two empty shells under one of the palm trees, Senor Dollar. But that was all. No trace of the person who fired them. What about Harley? He's not in his room. So far, I've been unable to locate him. Hardly seems reasonable, Johnny. What could be so important about that money you saw to make him want to kill you? I don't know that he did, Marty. But I'd like to ask him a couple of questions about it. But why come down here to the boathouse, senor? Well, with your plane gone, there's only one way off this island. Rawling speedboats. We'd better make sure they're locked up tight. One of the slips is empty. It wasn't when I got here. We heard no motor, senor. Well, that's nothing that a paddle and a pair of willing arms can't explain. Harley? That's my guess. And it's ten to one he has the necklace with him. Expense account item two. Five dollars and sixty-five cents. Breakfast for two in Havana. Where Martin Fenton and I found the Bougainvillea and the tourist rates in full bloom. We wanted to talk to Senor Chavez, Rawlings' lawyer. And after a rough trip on one of the speedboats and that rougher breakfast tab, we made our way to his office. See, I have a copy of Senor Rawlings' will, but... You understand I cannot disclose its contents until the court's so order. Well, we don't want any details, Senor Chavez. Huh? But I understood you were inquiring about beneficiaries. All we want to know is if he left anything to a Timothy Harley or Anita Valdez. I see. Well, we've explained the circumstances, Senor Chavez. It can't violate any professional ethics to give us a yes or no to those two names. No, uh... No, I do not believe it is unethical to tell you this much. No individuals were named in the will. Only charitable and public welfare institutions. Well, that eliminates the heir apparent angle, Jenny. Mm. One more thing, Senor Chavez. There have been rumors that Rawlings' fortune was almost gone. Any truth to them? Not a bit. All his investments were most judiciously placed. He was perhaps wealthier at the time of his death than at any time during his life. 
Well, you've been a big help. Thanks. For now, it is an attorney's duty to obey the law, is it not? Anytime you are here in Havana, a place to stop in it would be my pleasure. I will do, Senor Chavez, and thanks again. Well, it was a great help. Cleaned up some loose ends. It's a loose necklace I'm worried about, Johnny. Where do we go from here? We can check out the local police, see if they've picked up anything on Harley. Good as anything, I guess. Oh, which way? We passed it on the way up here. We'll go right... Senor Dollar, it is most fortunate that you are still here. There's a phone call for you in my office from the island of Los Baños. Oh, thanks, Senor Chavez. Uh, there, on my desk, senor. Johnny Dollar. This is Captain Puente, senor Dollar. I have some information for you. Oh? What is it, Captain? First of all, the autopsy report on senor Rawlings has come in. Natural death? Eh? See, si, that is correct. From an old, aggravated heart condition. But how did you know? No real reason for anybody to murder him. What else? We have found Senor Harley's body at the north end of the island. Apparently, his motor stopped and the surf dashed him against the rocks. His skull was fractured. You didn't find the necklace on him? No, but he's the one who stole it. What makes you think so? In his wallet, we found a slip of paper, Senor. On it was written, the combination of the safe. Expense account item three. $35, transportation of speedboat back to Los Barnes. With Captain Fuente's report, there was no need to report directly to the island, and Marty was anxious to get back to the office and bring you up to date. So he chartered a plane, and we took off for Miami. Well, Johnny, my lad, we chalk up another happy collaboration, huh? Yeah, you might call it that, Marty. A king there was. Yeah, somehow I don't think Rawlings was a very happy man with all his dough. Hold up on that island, nothing but hate around him. Well, money's not the answer to everything. No, but as the saying goes, it sure helps. But then I guess it didn't help Harley much either. I wonder if we'll ever find that necklace. It'll turn up. Pretty optimistic, aren't you? No, I'm sure of it. Well, come on, Johnny, give. Where do you think it is? Right there in your briefcase. It's not a very funny gag, Johnny. No, Marty. It's not. And how about changing the snapper? I wish I could, Marty. But it figured all along. Hmm. Looking for every possible loophole, I guess. But they all closed up on me. Where did I slip? Where they all slipped. At the very beginning. When you first thought of it. What tipped you? Rawlings swore that only he knew the combination of that safe. He was wrong. One other man knew it. The one who supervised its installation. <laughs> you should have known you'd tumble to that. The paste pinned it down even closer, Marty. The reproduction was too good. No wonder. You had every descriptive detail in your copy of the policy. Weights, dimensions, photographs, everything. I didn't go back to the island, Johnny. How could I make the switch? That's where Harley came in. You slipped him the combination, and he made the switch. That's why the 10000 payoff, and why you had to kill him and frame it as an accident. Maybe I should have killed you, too, when I had the chance on the patio. You've still got your gun. Nah. What's the use? <laughs> 
You're wrong all the way. Besides, I never could outshoot you. Expense account item four, $32.15. Hotel bill and incidentals in Miami. Item five, $141.10. Plane fare and incidentals back to Hartford. Expense account total, $348.60. Remarks, with all due deference to my chosen profession, sometimes this is a lousy business. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, stars John Lund in the title role and was written by Sidney Marshall with music by Milton Charles. Featured in tonight's cast were Jack Moyles, Lillian Baya, Tom Tully, Howard McNear, Nestor Piva, and Don Diamond. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is Charles Lyon, inviting you to join us again next week at this same time when, from Hollywood, John Lund returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll join me again next week when I offer up more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.